Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. Welcome to Nightlight, everybody. So glad that you could join us. I want to thank Ken Quiethawk for his amazing intro, as always. Do seek him out on the Internet because he and his lovely wife are Native American storytellers, and their craft is one that everybody should be aware of and experience because it is very magical and a unique way of preserving history. I have with me today... Um, Maurice Cotteral, who is the author of, among other things, The Heavenly Matchmaker, The Secret Science of the Mind, Heart, Body, and Soul. And it is an amazing book, by the way. It's probably one of the most beautiful that I've ever had the honor to read. He is an author, obviously, engineer and scientist in 1989 while working at Cranfield University As head of electrical and communications engineering, he found a way of calculating the duration of magnetic reversals on the sun. Using this knowledge, he was able to break the secret codes of ancient sun-worshipping civilizations and understand how the sun affects life on Earth. He's written 11 books, including seven international bestsellers, three museum pieces on ancient sun-worshipping civilizations, science and spirituality, and several scientific papers. Excuse me. It's pollen season, folks. His unique decoding process reveals amazing pictures from archaeological artifacts and explains the spiritual mysteries of life, why we are born, why we die, and why this has to be. It is an amazing book. It is one that, that... that absolutely makes you wonder, think, and then start to investigate a lot of the signs and magic around you that you hadn't been aware of before. So welcome to the show, Maurice. I'm so glad we could connect, and I'm so honored that that we're going to be able to talk about your amazing book. Thank you, Barbara. I'm a little curious. You've taken a, a different approach to a lot of things, and I think very appropriately, how did what was what was the impetus for writing this book for for putting this information out there? 
Well, it goes back many, many years, Barbara. Uh, I guess I've always had an inclination towards science and spirituality, in particular bringing the two together uh-huh. from a very early age. I don't know why. Maybe it was uh, preordained. Maybe it was karma from a previous life. But uh, I, I've, there, it, to me, science and spirituality have always been two sides of the same coin. Now, I guess when it first started for me, I remember around the age of about nine or ten, I used to keep pigeons where, where I grew up in Manchester. And I used to put a couple in uh, the, the basket on the back of my bike and ride off to Cheshire or get the train perhaps with the bike and the birds in, in the basket. And I used to release them and I used to watch the birds and they fascinated me because they went round and round in a circle once or twice. Then they zigzagged all the way back home across the horizon to where I lived. And of course, they always got home before me. And I couldn't figure out how pigeons with bird brains could do that. And it was a question that fascinated me and one that had to wait until I actually went to sea in 1970 after I left Naval College. And we sailed down the River Mersey into the Irish Sea in February, a cold, dark, wet day in February into a Force 11 gale. And uh, I, was certainly, I was certainly very seasick. And what, what I found was every time a big wave came towards the uh, front of the ship, it knocked us off course, clearly. And uh, then I looked at the steering gear, which is the computerized system that uh, maintains a consistent course for the ship. And I could see that the steering gear had detected the course error and then it's from the gyro compass and the ship's heading. And then what happens is the steering gear sends a signal to the rudder at the back of the ship and it brings the ship back on course again. And this was going on for a few hours. And when I looked behind me onto the bulkhead, I could see the, the course of the ship that we'd taken over the last few hours. And it was zigzagging. And it occurred to me that the, the pigeons must have been sensing the magnetic deviation, just like uh, the, the ship was the ship steering gear was in the storm as we were getting blown off course and going back onto course over and over again. So it was, as I say, I was in the right place at the right time with the right questions. And I remember before that uh, going to church on my own at the age of seven years old, which was quite extraordinary. I used to go and sit Uh on the front row and, uh, I used to just feel comfortable in church. Uh, it, was, uh, it was nice to be there. I didn't feel anxious. It was as though I'd been there before, even though I was only seven years old. So I remember that when I joined the Navy, we went on that first trip. We sailed south to South Africa. Uh, and uh, we were going around Cape Town. It was very difficult to contact London in those days on the shortwave radio because it was a sunspot maximum at that time. And the sunspot, when I say sunspot maximum, there is a cycle that astronomers have noticed since the days of Galileo, uh, which begins where the sun shows lots of spots all over it. Then the spots disappear after about five and a half years. Then the spots come back again. So there's about 11 to 11 and a half year cycle, depending on which part of history you choose to take over the last couple of thousand years excuse me, a couple of hundred years, although the sunspot cycle was first detected by the ancient Chinese a couple of thousand years ago, I should, I should add. 
But as far as Galileo goes and our modern understanding of sunspots, uh, we know that uh, when the sun manifests these spots, it means it's very magnetically active. And the magnetic field uh, interferes with the upper ionosphere, that's the upper atmosphere of the, of the world, of the globe, and it makes uh, propagation of radio waves very difficult. The radio waves, in order to gain traction, if you like, and to, to go over large distances, bounce off the sky, then they bounce off the earth, like a mirror, then they bounce off the sky again. And uh, when the sunspot cycle is very active, it doesn't bounce off the sky. The signals get lost in all of the activity in the upper ionosphere, and the signals fade. That's why shortwave radio was very unreliable in the old days. Around the same time, I became interested in astrology because I noticed that when the ship was sailing from north to south, or south to north, the crew were relatively peaceful. But when sailing from east to west or west to east, they became very agitated. I was fortunate because a copy of the crew list containing the birth dates of the crew is kept in the radio office. So I was able to study behavior of each star sign against their birthdays. Eventually, I was able to predict how long it would take for one particular star sign to find fault with another and to distinguish the star signs of the extroverts from the introverts. And this is why I became fascinated with the subject of astrology. I was eager to know more and to understand human behavior. It was the best way I could find to make life easier for myself. Well, I, I totally agree with you as far as the uh, combination of science and spirituality. It, it, if you combine the two, you enhance the wisdom and the scope of that wisdom that you, that's available to you. And uh, to, you, you can't negate one over the other, they be they are partners in evolution. As far as I'm as far as I'm concerned, <clears throat> it's that's not a carved in stone anywhere. It just happens to be my opinion. But I love the way that you have um, worked with the sunspots and and the connection to humanity and how we evolve and how we grow. And it had never occurred to me that that the the, the sun affected our growth, our development, and a, and a lot of things about us genetically, even before we're born. And, you know, you, you have so, so made clear to me that, that while astrology, that the day we're born is very important and the time of the day and the place, but, but also the sun's activity at conception does make a difference in the personality of the person that is being developed which blew my mind away. Oh, indeed, absolutely. Uh, we are a product of the sun's radiation in many ways. The sun uh, affects the personality of the unborn child, and uh, modern uh, investigations regard this as sun sign astrology, where, which produces 12 types of personality. And uh, for many years, uh, psychologists have asked the question of what indeed causes personality and quite frankly they haven't got a clue and uh, what we find is that although two parents might have three children they're completely different characters completely different souls and completely different personalities and although they can show that uh, certain physical traits are passed on in it with a chance of one to four from any particular parent uh, they, they've made no progress on how personality is determined since psychology began in, in the 1900s, 1910s. Well, it's, it's, 
it's fascinating because it makes us even more unique than than I even thought we were at you know the beginning of all of this. I I know that I know each soul is different and has a different journey and has a different purpose and I I got all that, but but you've brought it scientifically down to explain a lot of the the possibilities of what it is that makes that difference, which I find fascinating. And then, and then of course, you you extrapolate that into the kind of partners we will eventually do well with or or not do well with. And and I do want to get into that, but but I want to go back in time because I love your concept of of you know of creation itself, and and the purpose of creation which, you know, has always been um, a question that everybody deals with. You know, why, are, why, was, why, why creation in the first place, and what is our purpose here on the earth plane? And you go into that so beautifully. You want to elucidate on that a little bit? Of course. Many people question who we are, what we are, where we are, and how we got here and where we're going. And uh, it, these are the, the questions that mankind have been asking for thousands of years. And they question what God is, what heaven is, what hell is, uh, what purgatory is, and who we are, and why life is so difficult for everybody. And, it, you know, if there is a God, and if there is a God, what is the nature of God? And so far, the best we've been able to do, really, is like two computers sitting on a desk in an office, and one computer says to the other, do you think there's a God? And the other computer says, well, I think there must be a God because somebody must have made us. And the other computer says, well, yeah, that makes sense to me. So where did God come from? And the other computer says, well, I don't know. I've thought about that a lot, but I'm not sure. But I tell you something, I reckon he's got 10 fingers. And the other computer says, well, why do you say he's got 10 fingers? Because every day he tickles me on the keyboard with 10 fingers. <laughs> and, the other, and the other computer says, yeah, I've noticed that. And I've noticed, does yours, does yours just sit there and stare at you all day? And the other computer says, yeah, he stares at my screen all day. I think he's a bit weird. And so this is the sort of conversation mankind's been having for thousands of years without any scientific input at all. The fact is, whoever made us and whoever made the computers can never figure out who made them because it's beyond uh, our ability. Now, one of the problems with ability, and we talk about intelligence, is that uh, there is no such thing as intelligence, and I'll come back to that in a few minutes. And the reason I say that is because if you look at, for example, a swallow, a little bird, flying through the branches of a tree at 100 miles an hour, logically and reasonably and rationally, it is not possible with a creature with the size of brain of a pea, like a swallow, to make such complex calculations so as not to collide with a tree. It's not possible. So you have to say, well, if the bird isn't flying the bird, what is flying the bird? And clearly, it's God inside the bird who moves at the speed of light who's flying the bird. So now we start to get into inquiries from each of the world's religions. And if you look at the Hindu religion of India, the Bhagavad Gita, their holy book, 
says, states quite categorically, God is light. Well, today we know that light is electromagnetic energy. It's a vibration. Uh, but in Buddhism, but, uh, but Lord Buddha was said to be the illuminated one, the one filled with light. And in Christianity, Jesus is shown with his head surrounded by light. So, okay, now we're, we're going down a scientific path and let's accept what these ancient civilizations uh, believed and let's suggest that God is light. This gives us a starting point for our inquiries in the hope that we can figure out what God's all about. So, God is light. Light is electromagnetic energy. So, in the beginning, the Bible tells us in the book of Genesis that in the beginning, there was just darkness on the waters, and God said, let there be light. In other words, God became light. He, he, he changed his vibration that, into one that could be felt vibrating into one that could be seen. And that light, uh, if we, that energy, that light energy, if we now go to Albert Einstein's equation, Albert Einstein gave us a formula which said E equals mc squared, which means energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. Very simple equation. So in the beginning, therefore, the mass of the Earth must have originated from the energy that Einstein described on the left-hand side of his equation. So let's suggest that in the beginning, God, in the beginning, was a million volts. million volts of energy on the left-hand side of the equation, E. Now, if you take something to the right-hand side of the equation, well, hang on a sec. If you... Uh, the only known mechanism of uh, growth in our universe, in our world, the only way I can get bigger beyond my 5 feet 10 inches, beyond my 12 stone in weight, is to have a baby. And the only way I can get bigger, more genes, by having a baby, the only way I can do that is to throw away a sperm. The only way a female can have a baby is to throw away an ovum, which each of these... Uh, seeds, if you like, contain chromosomes. So when an apple tree wants to grow, the only way an apple tree can grow bigger into another apple tree is by throwing an apple away. So what becomes clear is that the only mechanism of growth in the physical world is through sacrifice. Through sacrificing a piece of ourselves, we can become bigger. So now if we go back to God, and let's say he was a million volts, in the beginning he must have sacrificed a piece of himself. Because we know in the Bible, it says God made man in his own image. So if we can only grow through sacrifice, then God could only grow through sacrifice. Which tells us a problem that God's got. God can do anything except grow, which is unfortunate. Because more God is more love, and more love is more good. So it would be wonderful uh -huh. if God could grow. So what God wants to do is to grow. So in the beginning, he threw from his million volts, he threw, let's say, 100,000 volts away. Those 100,000 volts went to the other side of Einstein's equation. Now, when you throw something away across an equation, you've got to change the algebraic sign. So if he throws 100,000 volts away and it crosses the equation, it must become minus 100,000 volts, which is the opposite of the 900,000 volts which remains on the left-hand side of the equation. And then what happened was the minus 100 volts with the speed of light turned into what physicists call the Big Bang or Big Explosion from which 
the universe that we know of, all of the planets, the stars, the trees, the plants, the fish, the, the human beings, the whole life, every, the rocks, everything was created from that transitional period, from that Big Bang. So, what we notice here is that if God is on the left-hand, equation, left-hand side of the equation and he's 900,000 volts positive, that everything, and he's in heaven, by the way, God lives in heaven, that everything on the other side of the equation must be hell because it's negative. It's the opposite of God's voltage, which is positive. So everything in the physical world, in, which began with minus 100,000 volts, must be hell. That includes me, the rocks, the trees, the planets. There are no exceptions. Everything in the physical world must be hell. So now we've got heaven and hell. So now we have to ask the question, how does God grow? Because he hasn't grown so far, he's gone from 1 million volts to 900,000. Well, when the universe began, certain physical phenomena begin to transpire. For example, we have time. And with time, we get evolution. And with evolution, we get uh, animals uh, mutate from, if you like, chimpanzees into human beings. And we get more and more intelligent. And uh, so what happens then is that uh, when two human beings get together to make a baby, the sperm enters the egg and the uh, sperm and the egg start to create a voltage. As the cells multiply, they develop a voltage from a millionth of a volt each to two millionths of a volt to two thousandths of a volt to two volts. And as the cells get more and more and more and they bind together through molecular activity and so on, the, the human fetus in the womb develops a voltage. Let's say that voltage, for example, is minus four volts on the body of the, of the fetus in the womb. Well, that minus four volts, then it wishes to become, it wishes to become complete. Everything in the universe wishes to be neutral. Nothing in the universe wants to be positive or negative. If a room is hot and you open the window, the room tries to get cold if it's colder outside. If it's cold in the room and you open the window, the room tries to get hot. Everything tries to equalize in the universe. So the baby at minus, the fetus at minus four volts rips plus four volts away from God because God is the only source of energy in the universe. So the minus four volts rips plus four volts of God, and the, the fetus acquires a soul. So the baby then becomes minus four plus, plus four, which is zero volts, and that's what we call a human being, which is a half body, which is the devil, and a half soul, which is God, electromagnetic energy. So then the baby is born after nine months and the baby comes into the world. Now, clearly, God still hasn't grown. He lost 100,000 volts. Then he lost four volts. Now we have to go back to the scriptures. And what Jesus said is, if you love your neighbor, you will go to heaven. And of course, this is because in the, uh, the, we live in different worlds. In the physical world, if I give you a dollar and you give me a dollar, <clears throat> excuse me, then it would appear in the physical world we can't get something for nothing because they cancel out. 
in the intellectual world, if I have an idea and you have an idea and we exchange them, you finish it with two ideas and I finish it with two ideas, which means we can get something for nothing in the intellectual world, in the metaphysical world. Taking this a stage further, further, in the emotional world, if I love you and you love me, I can double my voltage. So my voltage will go up to, say, 8 volts. So when I die, my voltage, which began at 4 volts, but during my lifetime has increased to 8 volts, will leave my body. It will have enough voltage to leave the Earth's magnetic field and gravitational field and return to God. So God grows by 4 volts. So mankind is a conduit to facilitate the growth of God. And more God means more love, which is more good. And that's what the universe is all about. Wow. Beautifully, beautifully wow. put. Beautifully, beautifully put. And, and it just, it, and, it, makes, it, it, it makes a great deal of sense. Now, you've got this growth process. And in your book you speak of, which I thought was fabulous, uh, miracle makers. And miracle makers coming to Earth to, to, to carry wisdom and energy forward in time. And you, so, so where do the miracle makers come from? I mean, they are, they are for the most part, well, in the case of Jesus, you know, the incarnation was, was, was um, magical. Are all of the miracle makers in 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 your book? Um, are they are they beings that that were sent from God to enhance the the wisdom, the understanding, the knowledge of humanity? Are, are there what is the purpose of the the miracle makers and their journey? And and you know it, it, you're talking reincarnation here. So what was the original miracle maker? Exactly. What we see with the miracle makers, for example, Jesus, is that when he died, he came back to earth. He was reincarnated, which tells us that it's possible for us, or at least it tells us it's possible for Jesus to reincarnate. If we go back to our analysis of the voltage, if our voltage goes up during our lifetime, we go to heaven. What I haven't mentioned is if it goes down. Now, if I hate you during my lifetime, my voltage will go down. I won't have enough voltage to escape from the Earth's gravity or the Earth's magnetic field. So what will happen is my soul will leave my body and it will look on my death. It will look if it's gone down to two volts, it will look for a two volt body to reincarnate into. So in the next life, although I was a four volt body, although maybe a four volt body may have gone up towards heaven, a two volt body will come back to earth. And that two volt body will suffer because if you're a four-volt body, you might be a king or a prince or a princess. But if you're a two-volt body, you might be somebody who sweeps the street or washes the floor as a servant. So uh, this fits in with the, uh, the maxim in the Bible, which says the first will be last and the last will be first. And what the, the miracle makers teach us is that there is an inverse mechanism for transmigration of soul energy in other words uh, men come back as women and women come back as men black people come back as white people white people come back as black people fat people come back as thin people thin people come back as fat people 
and so on. And uh, so we get paid back for all the bad things we did in, in the previous life. So when we're a high voltage person, we push around the servants and the servants suffer. And the servants begin to question what they're doing here on earth because life is very unpleasant. And they say, why are you pushing me around? What have I done to you? So the, 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 the servant develops empathy and other good qualities. Whereas the rich person who doesn't care about the poor person develops bad qualities. So the rich person's soul voltage goes down and the poor person's voltage goes up. Now, this is a long process over hundreds of thousands of years. I say, if you've got four volts, you might get to heaven. But of course, you won't get to heaven because in order to get to heaven, you have to reach like about 100 volts. It's like being in an elevator in a very tall building. In one lifetime, you go up to four volts. The next lifetime, you go down to two volts. In the next time, lifetime, you might go up to five volts then in the next half time, you go back to one volt. And you can't quite get up that skyscraper onto the roof to get the helicopter to get to heaven. So, and because we've got no memory of our previous life, and the Egyptians told us why, they mummified the body, and they mummified and preserved the, the liver, the lungs, the, and the intestines, the viscera, <clears throat> the insides, if you like, but they didn't save the heart and they didn't save the brain because they were trying to tell us there's no need for a heart because when you reincarnate, you'll have a new heart with a new emotional memory. And they didn't uh -huh. preserve the brain because you'll have a new brain, a new CD-ROM, a new flash drive <laughs> with no memory. And that's what they were trying to tell us. Now, of course, I didn't stumble upon this knowledge, as some people suppose, uh, it was not, I didn't make it up. It wasn't conceived by me. I simply decoded the information concealed in the sculpture, the art, the jewelry, the architecture, <coughs> excuse me, of the sun-worshipping civilizations of Mexico, the Mochica of Inca, and Inca of Peru and Bolivia, the ancient Chinese, and the Celtic people of Europe, who all left behind secret knowledge to teach us how to get to heaven and how to avoid finishing up back here in hell. And uh, they wanted, clearly they're salesmen. These miracle makers are salesmen. You see, at first, when I broke the code of the Mayas, I went down to Mexico and broke the code of the Mayas, I couldn't understand how this ostensible civilization that lived in the jungle and walked around in loincloths could possibly have known the science of sunspots and fertility as I had discovered for myself scientifically. And when I say that, I have to say that it was clearly when I was at sea, I was very interested in trying to find out how long the magnetic cycles of the sun were, because I was interested in, in my radio signals coming and going, fading. And it was when I left the Merchant Navy, I, uh, that was in 1985, when satellites arrived, all the, all the radio officers were made redundant. And so I went back, to, uh, went back to college and got another degree in business. And then I got a job at working at Cranfield University in Bedfordshire in, in England. Uh, and they had, at the time, one of the largest mainframe computers in the country. And I said to one of the girls at the computer center, Can you, I'm trying to work on a problem at home, uh, clearly at weekends and in the evenings. And I'm trying to work uh -huh. out the sunspot cycles, but it's, it's 
I'm finding it problematic because it's so time consuming. And I knew what I had to do, but doing it by hand on a handheld calculator was really wearing me down. So I said, look, what I want you to do is have a look at the sun's magnetic fields. I said, the sun's got a magnetic field on the North Pole that spins once every 37 days on the surface of the sun. And it's equatorial field on the sun spins quicker. That spins once every 26 days if you're on the sun. If you're on the moving Earth, then it's 28 days at the equator and it's 40 days at the poles. So there's two sets of figures there. I said, what I'd like to know is, can you tell me when these two magnetic fields will be together again and when they'll be together again with the Earth as it uh, goes around the sun? So she said, that's not a problem. I said, well, I know it's not a problem initially when you think of it, because if one is rotating every 37 days and one is rotating every 26 days, then they're going to be together every 26 times 37, which is 962 days. And if the Earth goes round once a year, then the North Pole of the Sun, the equator of the Sun, and the world will all be together after 962 years. I can do that in my head. But I said, it's not the answer. Something else is going on, and I can't, can't quite understand it. So can you write me an algorithm that can show these two mixing together so that I can analyze it and find out what's going on? She said, fine, no problem. Just two or three days later, she came back. She said, that'll do it. She said, how long do you want me to run the program for? I said, no idea. Just leave it. Switch it on Friday night, and we'll come back Monday and see if there's anything there. So I came back Monday, and there was paper all over the computer room floor. And uh, I said, okay, it's gone up to, it's gone beyond 962 years, and I can see they're all together at 962 years. My question is, have they ever been together before that during this period? Is there a lower common denominator that I can't detect? And I looked through the graph of the sunspot cycle, and I could see they were all together after 187 years which I couldn't have done without the computer program. Now, that was uh -huh. 68,320 uh -huh. 68, days, to be exact. So then I, did more, then I did more analysis of the sunspot cycle, and this took probably two years because one or two things didn't make sense. The upshot was I, I realized that after 20 of these 187-year cycles, the sun's magnetic field reversed. And that was every 3,740 years. Now, that's 1,366,040 days. And then I found out that number was not only revered by the Maya of Mexico 1,250 years ago. And don't forget, I'd worked this out on the computer. Uh -huh. But they encoded uh -huh. the number into one of their treasured artifacts, which I call the, Mo uh, the Sun Shield of Monte Olban. It's an eight-inch disc made out of gold and turquoise, and it has uh, sunspot loops on the outside. It has four arrows going through it, and when you break the code, you come out with exactly the same number as a sunspot cycle. <clears throat> so what this means was, or what this means is that the Maya, 1,250 years ago, we're more intelligent than we are today with our computers. So this made me scratch my head for a long time. And I thought, how can this, this be the case? 
And then one morning I woke up, as I often do, first thing in the morning, without, after having ideas all, my, all night, when, when God's been running around your head all night. And uh, I thought, I've made a mistake. Because what I've been suggesting is, all the people of Israel, for example, 2,000 years ago, could walk on water. 2,000 years ago, everybody in Israel could turn wine into water. 2,000 years ago, everybody in Israel could heal the sick with their bare hands. And, of course, we know that's not the case. What's right. actually, what actually happened was one man could do all those things, and he was what we call a miracle maker, Jesus. So what that meant was that Maya were not that clever. It meant that one man, the leader of the Maya, was clever, a miracle maker, and his name was Lord Pekau. Now, Pekau is very similar to Pascal, which is a Roman Catholic Christian word for Easter. It, and it's derived from the, Muslim, uh, the, uh, the Eastern word for the Passover, which is Pasak. So Lord Pekau was trying to tell us he was the man who died at Easter. Now, once I realized all this, I went down to their ceremonial center in Palenque in the Yucatan Peninsula. That would be about 19... First time was about 1988. <clears throat> and I looked at the pyramid of inscriptions where Lord Pekal was buried. And uh, they discovered his body in 1952. The uh, Mexican archaeologist Alberto Rue uh, found a secret stairway inside the py pyramid and when he excavated all the rubble from the stairway, he came to the tomb. And when he opened the tomb door, he was confronted by an enormous stone sarcophagus with a lid on top. It was about 12 feet long, 7 feet wide, 1, feet, one foot deep, and it weighs about 5 tons. And this very ornate carving uh, has been seen by lots of other people because the pyramid's been open now for over 50, 60 years. And many people have had different ideas about what the carving actually represents. Many listeners will uh, probably be familiar with the account made by Eric von Deineken, the writer, who said in the 1960s that it resembled a man in a spaceship. Well, I didn't believe that. What I thought was, I'm going to find out what this means, how these people understood that the 28-day spinning sun creates 12 types of personality. I'm going to find out why they worship the sun as a god of astrology. I want to find out why they worship the sun as a god of fertility. Because they knew the 28-day cycle regulates the production of oestrogen and progesterone in females. That's what I want to know. I want my feet firmly on the ground, not in a spaceship. So I... On the first day of my visit there, I looked and looked and looked at the lid. And it was too big to, fortunately, it was too big, too big to remove the lid from the pyramid. That's the way it was designed. That's the way Lord Pekal, who was uh, a later incarnation of Jesus, that's the way he wanted it. He didn't want anybody to take this lid out of the, the pyramid. And I, I can mention why later, because we know what actually happened when they built a replica. But just before I get there, let me say this. I looked at the lid 
And being an engineer, I thought, okay, how long is this going to take me to decode the picture or interpret? And I thought, well, it could take a year, it could take two years, it could take the rest of my life. And I, then I thought, well, lots of intelligent people have tried and failed. Just like lots of intelligent people have tried to figure out what electricity is and failed, and magnetism is and failed, and gravity is and failed, and why the atom is unstable, so excuse me, it's stable and failed. So I looked at it in a compartmentalized way, and I thought, if I decode it, are people going to criticize it and say, you have not decoded it, it's your personal interpretation only. So I thought, well, I can't allow that to happen. So I looked at it and looked at it, and it suddenly occurred to me that two of the corners were missing. So there's a piece of limestone, it's like concrete, off each corner that had been chipped off at 45 degrees. It looked like with two chisels. And I thought, well, hang on a second. I'd better reevaluate my intentions because if I spend 10 years decoding this lid, then somebody, some skeptic is going to come up and said, you haven't decoded the lid. You couldn't possibly have decoded the lid because two of the corners are missing. So at best, you might argue you've done 95%, but unless you find those corners, you can never claim to have decoded what you set out to do. So I thought, well, given that, I've got to find the corners. Now, I was aware of the Maya philosophy. It believed that I am you and you are me. It, and it said that what is good is what is bad. What bad becomes good and what's good becomes bad. We live in an inside out, upside down, back to front world of wonder. So again, I thought about it and contemplated it. And I thought, well, if the corners are missing, the corners are not missing. They are there to be found. So I took all the information home with me. And it was about that time. I mean, I was very fortunate again. Perhaps it was serendipity. About that time, 1988, the first color Xerox uh, photocopiers arrived and were available to the public. Because I had to make hundreds and hundreds of copies of this carving on the lid. And... I noticed one or two marks on the lid. For example, one of the corners had a, would have carried a code. It had a code of five dots, like a cross, one in each corner and one in the center. It, and I knew that because there was a similar code halfway down the other side of the lid, which wasn't missing. It was there, which made me suspect that the one that was missing in the corner with just three dots, that's one at the top, one at the bottom, one on the right-hand side, in the three corners, if you like, would have resembled the good one with five dots had it not been hacked off and was missing. So then I decided to take a photocopy of the lid on a transparency and take the original drawing, put the transparency on top, and when I put the missing corner on top, the missing code became complete. The two half crosses completed one cross. And then I noticed at the other end, when I moved the transparencies apart slightly, there was a magnetic loop marker on the other missing corner. And when I moved the transparency apart, two magnetic loops appeared. So it was quite clear to me that I had 
successfully completed the first hurdle in the decoding process. I could not decode it without a transparency. Now, of course, skeptics would argue that these people didn't have transparencies 1,250 years ago. No, because they were far more intelligent than we, we are. They had two hemispheres of the brain, a left-hand hemisphere and a right-hand hemisphere. And what they did was, if you like, they opened their left eye and stored the image, the carving on the lid, in their left brain, excuse me, in their right brain, because there's a crossover inside the brain. They stored the right-hand image from their right eye in the left-hand side of their brain. And then the brain overlaid the two transparencies and secret, revealing secret pictures. So I, I discovered how to break the code. Now, I then found by using the transparencies on the border codes, which are all around the lid, there's 25 different squares or codes with patterns in them. When I used the decoding process, I finished up with 25 different pictures, 25 different gods of the Maya of around 700 AD, which is when Lord Pekal died, approximately. Okay. So I then realized that after studying more and more, this is, now the, the, I haven't decoded one of the pictures yet from the inner lid, don't forget. So, so far, it's taken me about six months. Then I realized that these p pictures around the, the outside of the lid that run all the way around the outside, the perimeter, was a list of contents to a book. And that there were 25 stories in the inner lid that's the inside of the borders that corresponded to the pictures in the, in the outside of the lid. And uh, then once I realized how to decode it, they taught me how to decode it step by step. And the first picture took me about 10 months to figure out because I had to make the design, turn the lines into gray instead of black because there were too many lines. Then I had to color in certain areas and there are millions of combinations to coloring in. And then when I found the right colors, I found the first picture, which was a bat, a bat flying towards us and a bat flying away. And then I found the other 24 pictures. But the first picture took me about 10 months to find, working 10 hours a day, seven days a week. The next picture took about four months, working 10 hours a day, seven days a week. The third picture took about two months. And eventually after about 10 pictures, I got it down to about three hours per picture. I could decode a new picture every three hours by putting the transparency onto the original and moving them around in a circle. I could come out with different gods of the Maya and different stories. And these stories told us everything we've discussed so far. For example, that uh, we are soul energy. They told us what God is, what heaven is, what purgatory is. Uh, how to get to heaven, how not to, how to avoid coming back to hell. And uh, so clearly they wanted to set this knowledge down, not just for future generations, but for themselves. If they didn't get to heaven, they wanted to be able to come back in 2020, decode their own treasures that they'd left behind to give them a better chance of getting to heaven the next time if they didn't make it the first time around. So, well, you know, it's an amazing philosophy and, and it makes a great deal of sense 
that that through time spirit has left us uh signposts or or indications through through artwork more than than words because you know languages change and and meanings of words change but the pictures are are literally carved in stone so it, it makes perfect sense that 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 kind of information would be left in a way that 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 would withstand whatever um the earth throws at us basically and uh exactly. i i love and the the element of reincarnation was not just for the miracle makers but for all of us you know we don't have the same exactly. wisdom and knowledge to impart but but it it's it's a revolving door and you you are going somewhere exactly. though although it although it be a spiral <laughs> um we are going somewhere um it, yes. it's uh and and you've mentioned it's it's just not only on on Pakal, but um the the uh there's there's jewelry that that you have found the same sort of message in and um pottery as well yes <clears throat> in fact the uh amazing lid of palenque as i call it the coffin lid uh-huh. it's the rosetta stone of uh maya carving once you, it, it's got uh three different ways of decoding it it's got the pictures around the sides of the lid, the edges, the border codes. It's got the central carving. So you've got 25 stories on the outside of the lid, 25 stories on the inside of the lid, and then you've got 25 archeological artifacts which were placed next to the tomb to tell us about each of these stories. So what we finish up with is like a three-way fix. And it tells us how to decode the jewelry, the carvings, the architecture, uh, and of course, as you say, they, they used, as you've said quite rightly, they used pictures and numbers because pictures and numbers transcend uh, the changes in languages and they put this knowledge down in their pyramids so that they could withstand the, the, the ravages of time like earthquakes, floods, hurricanes and so on. They had to last thousands of years across sunspot cycles. They knew one sunspot cycle is only 3,740 years. So we're not talking about 50 years here or 100 years. They knew that they would be reincarnating many times and that they might not be able to escape to heaven next time because they've got to come back when the photocopy has been invented. If there's no color photocopier, they can't do it. So we're at this moment of this cycle when we are able to do it. Now, clearly, they had to encode it because they didn't want bad people getting to heaven. They had to have a filter. So this is why they, they hid it away and, uh, in, in their treasures. And each miracle maker, and I'm going back now to the first one, which we know as Lord Krishna, who comes from about 1700 BC, who appeared in India. And uh, Krishna means Christos in Greek, the anointed one. And Jesus anointed the feet of others. And he baptized others with oil on the forehead. Krishna reincarnated as Tutankhamun in 1323 BC. Tutankhamun means the son of God. And then uh-huh. the Celtic people, they left their treasures behind in a tomb in Hochdorf in Germany, 
around 550 BC, the king of Hochdorf has the same uh, coded messages inside his tomb, which contained a wagon and a sofa and all sorts of treasures in it. And then the king of Hochdorf came back about 50 years later as the Olmec stone face, which was found in a place called Jalapa in Mexico, tells again, same old information over and over again about how we are spiritual energy, that there is no such thing as intelligence. We are only God. God is intelligence. Human beings aren't intelligence. God, let's just go back to what God is again. God is electromagnetic energy. <clears throat> God can do anything. If you put electromagnetic energy into a refrigerator, which has been designed to go cold, then the refrigerator will go cold. If you put electromagnetic energy, God, into an electrical kettle, which has been designed to boil water, the water will boil. If you put God into a computer, the computer will perform calculations and connect you to the internet and do all sorts of wonderful things. If you put God into a human being, God will have wonderful thoughts. Good ideas come from God. Bad ideas come from the body. The body is the devil. God is the soul inside which drives the brain, the intellectual body, the heart, the emotional body, and the soul, the, the spiritual body. It is God that is intelligent. Now, all of these miracle makers, and I, I got up to Buddha earlier, 550 BC, but he came back <clears throat> as Qin Shi Huang Ti in China in 220 BC. Qin Shi Huang Ti means the son of heaven. And Qin Shi Huang Ti, he left his, uh, his knowledge behind in the terracotta warriors in China. And uh, the terracotta warriors tell the same story that Lord Krishna tells about the battle of Kurukshetra in the, Hindu, in the Hindu holy book, the Bhagavad Gita, that we're living in hell. <coughs> Excuse me. And every time we leave our front door in the morning, every time we leave the, our front door in the morning, we go into a battlefield. It's, there's a battle going on out there. And we have to fight the battle, whether we like it or not, until we come home at five o'clock at night. Now, Qin Shi Huang Ti, he came back as Jesus in around 7 AD, because Jesus died in about 32 AD. And he left all of this information behind in the Holy Grail, which is a cup which is today kept in the museum at Dublin. It's known in, as, in the Celtic collection as the Ardar Chalice. That's the name of it, Ardar Chalice, because it was found in a town off the west coast of Ireland known as Ardar. And he kept his, uh, he wrote down his treasures in another Celtic treasure, another very famous Celtic treasure called the Tara Brooch. These two treasures, the Holy Grail, the Ardar Chalice, and the Tara brooch are probably the most famous of all the Celtic treasures. And what we find is when we start to decode the Tara brooch, it contains the legend of King Arthur. And when we take the, the sword from the stone or move the pin of the brooch, this, this brooch is 12 inches long, by the way, 12 inches mm -hmm. in length. When we move the pin backwards and measure the angle from one side of the pin to the other, then we come out with a number of 144,000. And that number is, 
It's written down in the Bible. And in the book of Revelations, Jesus says, uh, when the end of the world comes, those with 144,000 written on their foreheads will go to heaven. And one of the decoded pictures from the lid of Palenque shows Lord Pekal staring at the viewer with 144,000 written on his forehead, which is telling us that Lord Pekal was Jesus. And on the wow. last page of the Bible, Jesus wow. says, Jesus says on the last page of the Bible, I, Jesus, am the bright and morning star. And all of these characters that I've mentioned were all said to be Venus, the planet of love, the brightest and purest source of light in the heavens. And uh, Jesus then came back in AD 290 in Peru as a character called Viracocha Pachacamac, which means God of the world. <clears throat> he came back just... 200 years after that, 300 years after that, as Viracocha, which means foam of the sea. Now, I couldn't understand why Jesus would call himself the foam of the sea. So I put my Wellington boots on and I went to the beach and I walked in the foam of the sea. And it occurred to me in the foam of the sea that I wasn't in the sea and I wasn't on the land. I was in between the foam of the sea. And yet, my feet were wet, so I was in touch with the water. The land was underneath my feet, so my feet were in touch with the land. And the sun was in my face, and the wind was in my face. And only in the foam of the sea do those four elements come together, the earth, the air, the fire, the water. And in the tomb of Viracocha and Viracocha Pachacamac in Peru, which were discovered in 1989, by the way, on the northwest coast of Peru. There are uh, the Viracochas, Viracocha Pachacamac and Viracocha, were portrayed as half man, half crab, a creature that lives half in the water and half on land. So they're telling us that they were the perfect being. They were in touch with the earth, air, fire and water. They weren't one type of element like human beings are. We are astrologically either air, either earth or water or fire and because of that there are 12 bad types of people in the world, 12 bad types of personality, we're all bad otherwise you wouldn't be here in hell so we have to accept we're bad once we accept we're bad, we can iron out the defects in our character and of course we can observe the defects in other people's character and that will allow us to have less pain but of course it's less pain per se is not the actual goal because pain purifies the heart. So the more heart we get, the more pure we become. It's just that we can only take so much pain in so much time. And therefore we have to regulate the amount of pain coming into our bodies rather than having in fits and starts, which might destroy us. And there are several mechanisms in hell. For example, there is... Uh, or, now, hell, by the way, is in... There's two parts to hell, the physical world. We've got in the center of hell, we've got the sun, the hellfire of the sun. And towards the outside of hell, we've got the planets. Which, and the planets is where we're living right now. And that's where we purge our heart of sin. That's why it's called purgatory. The purging of the heart takes place when we experience pain. When we experience pain, the brain can't understand the pain. The heart 
because we have four bodies, don't forget. We have the intellectual body, which is the brain, the emotional body, which is the heart, the spiritual body, which is the soul, and the physical body, which is the physical body. The heart is hurt by pain, and it cannot understand why. It becomes confused. It, it says to the brain, why am I hurting? And the brain can't explain why. The brain can't explain why you fell over and broke your leg. The brain can't explain why somebody stole your bicycle. So the brain asks the heart, interrogates the heart, and says, well, you tell me why you're hurting. What have you done to bring this about? And what happens is a discourse uh, ensues between the heart and the mind. And just as a wet rag is wrung of water, when the brain interrogates the heart, the heart is purged of impurity. And so the heart becomes pure. And when the heart becomes pure of impurity, the soul can drain into the heart. So the, the soul becomes pure through the heart, and the heart becomes pure through pain. And this is why Jesus, in statues, when you see him, is always pointing to his pure heart. Now, in hell, there are, there are several mechanisms, but there are f four primary mechanisms. And uh, these are pain, uh, astrology, reincarnation, and time. Now, pain we get from uh, insect bites and diseases and old age and uh, earthquakes, physical, uh, physical catastrophes, they all bring pain. And we get intellectual pain from nervous breakdowns, emotional pain from broken heart. We get spiritual pain from guilt. And we get uh, just regular physical pain from the outside world, from catastrophes and so on. And what we know is that, as I mentioned earlier, if we love each other, then we can double our voltage. But people don't even understand what love is. You know, there are many types of love, and it's not until we can understand what love is that we can understand who we are. For example, the love of food is gluttony. The love of sex is lust. The love of activity is distraction. The love for a friend is camaraderie. The love of a pet is attachment. The love of alcohol is the thirst to escape from hell. The love of money is greed. And spiritual love is a sincere and genuine wish for the intellectual, physical, and spiritual well-being of another living thing. But we do not search for any of those. The love we search for is romantic love, which, like a roller coaster, is wonderful on the way up and gut-wrenching on the way down. You see, the brain is a biological computer. And uh, the brain is driven by hormones. The male brain is driven by testosterone. And the female brain is driven by estrogen and progesterone. Now, if you put the wrong software in the computer, it goes crazy. And if you kiss somebody romantically, then the hormones in their saliva download into your computer, which sends you crazy. So when you kiss the guy, you, you go crazy. When the guy kisses you, he goes crazy. And you say, wouldn't it be wonderful to have a baby? Now, who would have a baby <laughs> in hell? You've got to be crazy to bring a baby into hell. So this is the way it's been designed. Everything's been designed. God has designed everything. And... Uh, just going back to the, the other mechanisms, so we've got pain, we've got the astrology, which means if we have 12 different star signs, 
And of course, don't forget, there are also 12 years in the Chinese zodiac. So there are a combination of 144 types of personality. Now, if you've got 144 types of personality, you've got 144 ways of boiling an egg. So everybody argues all the time. And so we have perpetual war. And, and of course, that's what happens in hell. Then reincarnation, the mechanism of reincarnation, the good become, uh, the good go to heaven, the bad reincarnate, and women come back as men, as I said earlier, men come back as women, the transmigration of souls. And then you've got time as the fourth major mechanism in hell, because time has been designed to speed up when we're happy. And it's been designed to slow down when we're miserable or bored, which means in hell, nobody can be happy for very much time. And once you realize you're in hell, realize that you've got to love people. And if you do, you'll escape from hell. It's the only way to escape. There is no other way. Then uh, you, you, you embark upon the knowledge, you embark upon the way of spirituality uh, and uh, loving your neighbor and loving every living thing. And you have to remember that in hell, everything is illusion. As the Maya said, the word Maya means illusion. It's an ancient Sanskrit word. If you cut the grass and leave it, a week later, that crush, the grass you cut off is gone because it never existed. Now, in the, if you imagine that a dog might come back, the soul of a dog might come back as a soul of a cat, and the soul of the cat might come back as a soul of a cockroach, and the soul of the cockroach may come back as a daffodil. And, and the daffodil has got a body and a soul, just like God is, God is in every living thing. If you've got no God, you've got no life. It's when God leaves the body, we call it dead. You know, if you uh, imagine a cow in the field and it cuts itself on barbed wire, we say the cow heals itself and the cut disappears. But it's not the cow healing itself. It's God healing the cow. And it must be, because if you think about it, a year later, the cow might be in a butcher's shop. And if the butcher cuts the cow with a knife, the cow doesn't heal itself. So what's the difference between when it was in the field and when it was in the shop? The difference is God has left the cow. So God cannot heal the cow anymore. It's very simple. It's very straightforward. So Definitely. if you now go back, to the if you go back to the daffodil, daffodil is a collection of living cells with a soul. It might be a millionth of a volt. And when it was created out of the bulb, it attracted down a millionth of a volt of God. And so it's got a soul inside. But when the daffodil begins to die, when the cells begin to die, the voltage starts to decay. So instead of being a millionth of a volt, it's half of one millionth of a volt. Then the next day, it's a quarter of one millionth of a volt. And the positive one millionth of a volt is released. And that voltage might come back as an ant or a crow or a tree. So everything is illusion. The daffodil is not a daffodil. It is God in disguise. The cat is not a cat. It is God in disguise. You are not you. You are God in disguise. And this is the world we find ourselves in. In hell, nothing is what it seems to be. 
Well, you've given us all sorts of tools also in your book as to minimize the difficulty of the evolution of this lifetime with the, the, the different astrological signs, with the different Chinese um, uh, 12, you know, the, the, uh, the, the different aspects of the Chinese chart and, and the, um, the uh, what I loved was with the astrological signs, especially, you know, the water signs and the earth signs and the, and, um, you know, which, which compositions are the most comfortable or the most likely to last. And I, I love the fact you, you, you basically said, you know, this is, this is what the worst, worst aspects of these signs are, so be aware of them. And, and, you know, had I read your book, I probably would have avoided, well, two or three marriages. Um, because, you know, the, the, the aspect of, you know, fire and air signs will, will go together more likely than fire and water because water puts out fire. So therefore, those two aspects, those two characteristics, eventually will manifest and and possibly destroy a relationship. And you, you know, you've you've done such a beautiful job of giving people the tools to understand um, how to intellectually pay attention to the kind of people you're surrounding yourself with and understanding why you do that it's it's um it's an amazing way of 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 doing therapy upon yourself and what you've been choosing in life and why have you been choosing it that way and is there a better way to go exactly and uh, one of the things that dismays me right now is the book's been banned by amazon it's been banned by the <laughs> freemasons and because they, the Freemasons don't want you to get to heaven. They want to keep this knowledge for themselves. And what's happened uh, since 2013, since my previous book, the, uh, uh, excuse me, Future Science, Forbidden Science of the 21st Century was published, uh, which has sold four editions in hardback, by the way, is that uh, Amazon Web Services Incorporated teamed up with the CIA in 2013. Now, the CIA is the enforcement arm of the Freemasons, and they don't want you to have this knowledge. Now, those two signed an agreement worth $600 million for Amazon Web Services to provide data handling services for the CIA. They don't want you to know how to get to heaven. They choose to be the masters of hell, and they wish to control everything, especially knowledge. So, But you can get the book off my website, no trouble at all, and it doesn't concern me because, you know, Barbara, it's most extraordinary... But when I finished the book, I didn't realize that the stained glass window on the front of the book, on the cover, depicts an interesting character. And his name is called William Tyndale. And William Tyndale, uh, he could speak about 12 languages. And in 1536, he translated the New Testament of the Bible and the first five books of the Bible, the Old Testament, into English. So King Henry banned the book and tried to kill him. So he fled to Belgium, but he was caught. And two years later, in 1538, they strangled him and burned him at the stake while he was still alive. Oh, my gosh. Now, the stained glass window, the stained glass window shows William Tyndale 
blowing, holding the sun in his left hand, blowing his breath onto the cosmos, creating the 12 signs of the zodiac with the earth in the middle. So clearly, his disciples, the disciples of Tyndale, knew the knowledge. He, they knew that the sun causes 12 types of personality. They knew that the radiation from the sun creates genetic mutations in the early fetus. And the only person who could have taught them that knowledge was William Tyndale. And the only person, the only person William Tyndale could have been to know that knowledge in 1536 was either God or Jesus. Which means William Tyndale must have been the reincarnation of Jesus. Which means William Tyndale came back to translate his own book, the Bible, from Hebrew and Greek into English so that it was spread a lot around the world and become common knowledge. And because it was banned, it sold more books than any other book that's ever been printed. <laughs> yes. There is that tendency. <laughs> I, it's um, it's amazing that one. I, I do have one question. There there have been five ma- major, I believe, four or five major mass destruction um, events on the Earth, according to what science, you know, postulates. And it seems to me that that this kind of a cycle would have occurred. Um, you know, we 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 talked basically about just this last this this since the last mass destruction, and yet this process must have been going on prior to that too. And and lots of times I think that a lot of our the artifacts that we're finding and discovering and and wondering over possibly were here before the last mass destruction, and possibly. The same information is is related there, because this can't just be since since the last you know since antediluvian since since the last flood, this this process must have been going on much longer than we actually have knowledge of. Absolutely yes, it's been going on for hundreds of thousands, millions, perhaps even billions of years. Uh, the Maya. Uh, and my own computerized calculations suggest that one complete solar cycle is 18,139 years, during which time the Earth's magnetic field reverses five times. And the four previous ages were referred to by the Maya as the age of Earth, when the, when the world was destroyed by volcanoes, the age of uh-huh. air, when it was destroyed by hurricanes and tornadoes, the age of fire, when it was destroyed by to- uh, infernos, and the age of water when it was destroyed by flood, and that we are now living in the fifth age of the sun. So we're about to enter the age of Aquarius now. We don't know exactly when it begins because the age of Aquarius is based on the precession cycle in astronomy. And what happens is the world wobbles on its axis very, very slightly. It does a cycle on its axis every 25,800 years approximately. And what that means uh-huh. is that the, uh, the, the axis of the Earth points to one of the stars in the sky every 2,160 years. Now, we know that the last age was the age of fish, the Pisces, uh, and uh, that's when Jesus arrived. And uh, so we, we should be, because he was a fish, because he was, uh, you know, it, it, it's just 
the fish, the, the shape of the fish, fish is the shape of a vesica Pisces, which is two overlapping circles. And mm-hmm. as I said earlier, Jesus was known as the, as the epitome of Venus, the purest and, so, purest and brightest source of light in the heavens. So because he was Venus, Venus is depicted as two overlapping circles, and the place where they overlap looks like a fish. So that's why we say that Jesus was born in the age of the fish. It's the age of when ah. Venus uh, tilted on its axis. Now, the Maya said Venus tilted upside down on its axis in 3113 BC, which is about the time of Stonehenge. So it looks like we had a magnetic reversal then, and that's when the Maya calendar began, even though the Maya hadn't been born then. They hadn't appeared on, on the Earth. Their calendar begins three, uh, two and a half thousand years before they arrived. But what they were trying to tell us was that the last Venus episode, and don't forget Jesus was Venus, the last Venus episode was in 3113, and, and they said it would finish again in 687 AD, which is when the Maya disappeared. So they were telling us the sun's magnetic field would reverse, and what would happen, and during a magnetic reversal at the equator, what happens is you get less fertility because you've got less estrogen and progesterone, so you get less babies, so the population declines. You get more infant mutations because you get more x-rays given off the sun in a sunspot minimum. There are no particles to shield the earth from the magnetic fields on the sun. And uh, you get catastrophic destruction from uh, uh, earthquakes and uh, stuff like that. And uh, you also get, what's the fourth one? Let me think now. Uh, escapes me for the moment, but there's a fourth cat- catastrophe as well. And uh, so they knew uh, what was going on. They knew how to avoid it. And it wasn't just the fact that they were trying to get to, to heaven. They were trying to, pro- oh, yes, the, the fourth thing was because they get drought, they die of starvation because they get crop failure. So we know that when the Maya died out, they had a drought, they had crop failure, they had more infant mutation, and they had uh, a decrease in population to a decrease in fertility. So they're telling us that we need to realize that there's more things in life than uh, the daily uh, obsession with more food, more drink, more drugs, and more sex because none of those matter what matters is loving each other because you can have more sex when you keep coming back as a frog uh-huh. or you know as, as a mouse <laughs> that, that's not going to help you you know you've got to escape and the only way to escape is to either get rich and give all your money away or love your god and love your neighbor and uh, be compassionate and love every living thing, including the trees and the plants. Everything is God in disguise. Oh, yeah. And I think the one, the one thing that I found fascinating was that you, you combined the, the, the Chinese and, and the astrological um, philosophies, and you came up with, with the fact that we, we will cycle through an experience of everything, at least once, which which would come out to over 144,000 um, incarnations, and and if we aren't complete, then then we just keep coming back and doing it over and over again. I think the the very the very last 
paragraph in your book um, I think is, is, is an amazing, amazing message, and I'm going to read it because I want people to hear it. The great paradox of life is that evil always succeeds in the short term, but goodness prevails. Love the God inside every living thing, and even those you believe might have little to offer because everyone, whatever their star sign, has something to offer. Good comes from bad as surely as sunshine follows rain. And remember that pain purifies the heart and pure hearts go to heaven. So that, so that if you're going through difficult times, if you're having a, and you have the capacity to be compassionate during those times, it enables you to evolve further and to go further as a spirit. You know, human experience is, a, is, is a, another quote from your book. The, the, the human experience is a journey, not a destination. I mean, you, you have Indeed. such wonderful, such wonderful advice, such wonderful phrases in here that people it's it's important for people to understand that that no matter what the moment holds there is an eternity before us and that that how we face each of these moments helps to determine where the spirit goes next so i i most people forget the fact that there's a spirit within and they they take the human experience as this is all there is and this is just a mere, you know, a, a, it's a grain of sand on a, on a huge beach. This lifetime is a very small experience, but but an important one because we're gathering wisdom, we're gathering knowledge, and and the soul does take that on with it, with it. But unfortunately, when we reincarnate, usually the memories of past lifetimes and the wisdoms that are gathered and experienced, you know, have to be redone but but if people are are willing to go that extra mile and 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 work with the spirit that that rides within this body this lifetime you know the possibilities of enhancing and and engaging in higher wisdoms is always available to us it's just that we have to reach for it and search for it and and not in a materialistic way in a spiritual way Indeed, I couldn't agree more. Well, what, what I can't the, understand, the... Bob, is why, what I can't understand is why everybody, given how useful astrology is, and palmistry as well, because they're connected, you know, uh-huh. when the sun creates mutations to the brain, it, contain, it also makes mutations to the hands and also other parts of the body, like the lips and the gums. So you can actually tell people's star sign from looking at the hands, the lips and the gums. I can't understand why everybody, given that we get an edge from this and given that it saves us misery, I can't understand why, I suppose, why everybody doesn't look into it and, and adopt it and follow it and study it. I guess it's because they keep hearing over and over again the mainstream mantra that there's no scientific evidence for it. There's lots of scientific evidence for it. I firstly came out with my scientific rationale for half of astrology in 1986 in my first self-published book called Astrogenetics, where I found out the cause of the elements. But I didn't find out everything about 
what caused personality. But in, in The Heavenly Matchmaker, the latest book, I not only uh, go over my old work about the four elements of earth, air, fire, water, but I explain why some of the signs are fixed, uh, mutable, and active. And I go into the cause of Chinese astrology, why there are 12 years. I go into why females menstruate every 28 days, why there is a 12-year cycle, that is to say, why uh, females reach puberty 12 years after conception at the age of 11 years, three months old, and why they go through the menopause four 12-year cycles after conception at the age of 48 or 47 years, three months old. These are all uh, geared up from the sun. These are all regulated by the sun. And I have a friend, this has so many spin-offs. I have a friend who's got retinitis pigmentosis, and, which means you can't see. The rods and cones in the eyes don't replicate as they should, so you go blind. Most people are completely blind at, by the age of 30. He's still struggling on now, and he's about 66. And uh, I asked him lots of questions about this some time ago. And I said, he said, funny thing is women don't get it until they go through the menopause. Women don't, even though it's genetic, they believe it's genetic, it's handed down in the family. If it's genetic, you've got a one in four chance of getting it. And he said, uh, women don't get it until they're 48. I said, well, I said, when did you get yours? He said, I got it at age 12. I said, but that's when your (laughs) testosterone started to work. He said, yeah. It was surely can't you see that the oestrogen and progesterone is protecting the females from getting retinitis pigmentosis. I said the females would not get it at the age of 48 if they took HRT. And the boys wouldn't get it at 12 if they took HRT. Is it obvious? Now, why can't these so-called doctors, you know, and, and I think in reading the book, you know what I feel about doctors and specialists and people like that. Yeah. These people who yeah. can't understand why objects fall to the ground and, and so on. I mean, you, you come up with, once you start to examine this information, it's not just old astrology. It's not just old, weird palmistry. We're talking about hard science that can save the lives of millions of people and restore the health of millions of people. And this is, I've looked where other people will not look because of the dogma of the day. They're afraid to look. Oh, you can't look at that. It's not scientific. Well, of course it's scientific. Astrology was the very first science. And uh, until we, you know, every time you switch on the radio or the TV, we get more and more nonsense from the scientific community about what they've just discovered, which in fact, it's all fake science. Every single thing they come up with is fake whether it's gravity waves, whether it's anything you like, the Higgs boson, it's all fake to justify their existence. They haven't got a clue. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know anything about science. <clears throat> as uh, as uh, Val- Emmanuel Varadikovsky, the 1950s scientist, once said, we, we haven't, science is, is a ship which has not yet sailed far from the coast of ignorance. And that's exactly what we're, <laughs> we're mixed up in. We, we've well, lost and, our and, way. Um, and, and scientists, you know, um, when, when you think of how they have um, negated, prevented, and denied new, science, new evidence 
for something because they're stuck in their old ways. I mean, it's it's horrifying. Uh, and, and there are so many natural things that have served humanity for so very long that, that, that are being totally negated because, uh, you know, they, they can't be replicated um, chemically. So, you know, a, a cure... A cure can be naturally, there are natural cures that cannot be replicated uh, with chemicals, so therefore science denies their existence. Indeed, yes. You know, it, it's, it, it's quite a world we've, we've created for ourselves. And, um, well, it's hell. You've got to remember, Barbara, it's hell. This is how hell works. And every time you despair, just have a sigh of relief and say this is how this is how it works nobody can change how this is the way it's been designed if you could change how it wouldn't be hell wouldn't if you could make it better in my last book future science i described how i discovered how gravity works now i didn't do it god did it i woke up in the morning with all these ideas going in my head that i couldn't understand i wrote them down and it took a lot of study to try and get my head around what was going on but i have discovered how uh gravity works and it's very very simple it took me two years to find a way of explaining it it took me two years to write the book future science but once i'd got there then i figured out how to make anti-gravity then i figured out how to make free hydrogen and i wrote to uh, 14 car companies and four uh hydrogen producers and i said look i've figured out how to make free hydrogen we can run planes and cars and boats and Anything you like, houses, factories, on a free hydrogen. All we have to do is uh, put water in, put anti-gravity across it, and we can make free hydrogen. They all wrote back and said, when you get the patent, write back to us again. They <laughs> seriously imagine that I'm going to pursue a patent with lawyers, with courtrooms, at the age of 68. I've got better things to do in my life. I've got to get to heaven. <laughs> Well, it, 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 don't forget, you know, it's hell. Uh, so that frustration is probably part of your journey. Uh, I, I think it's, it's most people, in my opinion, and, and please understand everybody when I, when I say something, I'm giving you my opinion, and, and my opinion changes and evolves as I do or devolves. Um, but, but, I really believe that that we are here as a soul for ourselves to develop the soul that we carry within the part of God that is within us, that our purpose is through love and compassion, but but it, it, it isn't I, – I, so many people don't understand that, that when you do something because you expect a reward, it's not unconditional. And – the love that we have inside of us is unconditional. And, and if we can express it uncon- truly unconditionally, that's where we grow. But if it's like I'm going to be loving and compassionate because that's going to get me to heaven, you know, forget it. you got a return ticket coming back here because love is not Absolutely, conditional. Yes. Well, you know, the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita both say, that every man has a right to work, but no man has a right to pay. And this is telling Mm -hmm. us that you've got to do what's in your heart. You don't do things for pay. And indeed, the Bhagavad Gita tells us, you know, 
the Bible tells us if we love our neighbor, we'll go to heaven. The Bhagavad Gita tells us how to love our neighbor. And that's the difference between the two books. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I, I think, you know, we still are, are in nursery school for the most part down here or preschool or pre-nursery school anyhow. And, and when you look at society today and you look around at what's happening in the world, um, it's, it's befuddling knowing how ancient our souls are, but, but then our souls are immortal and therefore timeless. So the soul has plenty of time to go through all this garbage, but it, it it does get frustrating from time to time when when you can see things happening and and know that it's just not appropriate and know that no good will come of it, and yet you watch it's like watching a train wreck in slow motion. You just can't believe that what's going on is going on, and and all you can really do is take care of yourself, basically, and I mean you're you're you're. Your book is phenomenal. It it does give people um, a guidebook. It gives charts. It gives you a way ways of of easing this journey for this lifetime, and and making it not only more comfortable for yourself but for those around you. And uh, it 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 is befuddling. Old word. Um, that so more people don't take advantage of it. I mean, if you're if you're just going by what your the physicality in you says, the 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 chemistry inside of you. If you let if you let the physical part of you rule your life, then your life doesn't have as much meaning as if you would allow the heart and the soul to to work with the other parts of you. Doesn't mean you have to be a saint or or you know live on a mountaintop and not talk to anybody. It's just a different way of approaching your life and a different philosophy with how you live your life. And the more you, you know, you, you, you've got the guidelines. You don't tell people what to do with the information, which is what I love. You put the information out there, and it's up to the individual to take it and apply it to their own life if it's appropriate for this lifetime. And while this is probably one of the most beautiful books I've ever seen, um, I would say that, that and, and especially that it's been banned, I think that's wonderful. That should mean it should, it should sell like hotcakes. Um, it, you give them, you, you put the information out there, and it's up to the individual to absorb it and use it as is most appropriate for them. And um, it's, it's, it's too bad that you, you know, the, our bodies are only built for 120 years. The Bible says 70. Um, and I love what the Bible says. It says you live so many years, you suffer and you work hard and, and then you die. And the, the next phrase in the Bible people don't know, it, it's, and then you fly away and then your spirit moves on. And, and so yeah. it, it's sort of like, You've you've put the handbook out there. You've I mean you've got the charts here. You know people can tell, you know what Chinese character they are. They can tell, you know what 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 they are, whether they're water or air or earth or fire. Uh, and and with the Chinese, the different five um, five aspects. There there are so many combinations that that we need to experience that that our journey through time is going to be a very long one. 
but you've given material here, a handbook, so to speak, as to how to best deal with what you have been dealt this lifetime and how to how to select people um, and uh, that 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 will be more harmonious to what you would what you have chosen to be this lifetime. Um, and and you, yes. you must have had yes. you must have had some wonderful responses from this book. Yes, I have, Barbara, and um, mainly from women, females. Uh, mm-hmm. Several have bought more than two copies. One person in Hollywood bought four copies. So clearly they're giving them away to people. And one of the things I should mention that I've not explicitly said is that, I do say it in the book, of course, 40% of the people who think they belong to one particular sun sign were either born prematurely or overdue, and they're not the sign they think they are. They're actually the sign before or the sign after. So if you ever read a horoscope and it it doesn't sound like you, let's say you're an Aries and it doesn't sound anything like Aries, it's probably because you were born a week early and you should have actually been conceived. So you were conceived, but you actually came out a week later in Taurus. But if that could be due to uh, environmental factors, like perhaps if your mother smoked, her heartbeat was quicker, so the gestation was shorter, or, or so on. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's a reason, there's an explanation as to why some people, or why statistical inquiries have failed to show the efficacy behind astrology. And that's because it's a very complex subject. Oh, yeah. I, the astrologers that I know have studied it for their a lifetime, and they continue to study constantly as well. Um, you, you did talk about uh, about um, the you know earth, air, fire, and water, and which which signs were compatible and which were not. And that's a very easy th- th- thing for anybody to figure out. Um, you want to go into that because knowing what your sign is and finding out what other people's are, you know whether or not there, there is a, a blending or a merging or if there's going to be conflict because, because of that aspect of them. Certainly, yes. Uh, as far as the elements go, earth, air, fire, and water, the way the ancients, the Babylonians and the Greeks, uh, interpreted this was that if you're an earth sign, which is one of the signs of either Taurus, uh, Virgo, or Capricorn, then you will get on with water signs, which is Pisces, uh, Cancer, or Scorpio. Now, Scorpio is actually, Scorpio is the odd one out because it's not really a water sign. If you look at the water signs, you've got uh, Pisces, which is the fish, which lives in the water all of the time. You've got Cancer the crab, which lives on the water half the time and on the land half the time. So it's only half water. And Scorpio, the scorpion, never goes near water. So that's why Scorpio is the odd one out of the water signs. And that's why Scorpios, although Cancer and Pisces are very quiet, introverted, don't like parties, don't like noise, things like that, Scorpios like Uh the nightlife. They like the fire. They like to run around the fire. They're attracted to Leos for example, which they shouldn't be astrologically, but once you understand how <laughs> astrology works, you can understand it. Now, just going back to the, the earth and the water, the way the, the ancients looked at this was the water flows comfortably in the riverbank. The riverbank and the water get on very well together. So that's why we say earth and water are made for each other. So 
an earth sign should team up with either a water sign or another earth sign. As for water signs, again, the water signs get on with the earth, except Scorpio. Now, Scorpio, because it's on the ground, on the riverbank, it can't see the fish in the water. It's too low, in the, too low on the ground, in the grass. All it can see is a reflection of the sky in the water. So uh, Scorpios almost never marry water signs, except perhaps Cancerians, because they're both covered in shells. The, the, the crab and the Scorpio can have a, a you know, a clanging old time. The, the Scorpio can't hit, hurt the crab because it's got a scale, it's got a shell on it. So you do get Cancerian and uh, Scorpio relationships, but you almost never get a Pisces Scorpio because Pisces is completely invisible to the Scorpion. <clears throat> then if you look at the, uh, the fire signs and the air signs, clearly... And a water sign won't get on with the fire sign because the water will put the the fire out. And uh-huh. even Earth uh, won't get out get on with a uh, a fire sign because very often you see a fire bucket can, can containing sand, and if you throw the sand on the fire, it puts the fire out. So uh-huh. fire gets on with air. So you could say, well, okay, fire and air get on. Does that mean every fire sign will get along with every water? Uh, excuse me, air sign. Well, yes and no, because the air helps the fire to burn. So you could say, yes, air will get on with fire. The trouble is the fire consumes the air and, and drains the air, and it's too much. Air signs are actually better off sticking together. Gemini should go with Aquarius, and uh, Libra should go with uh, Gemini, and so on. So a low fire and air are, are, are compatible. They, they work together. One exhausts and consumes the other. Unlike water and earth, which when you get water and earth, good things start to happen. Things start to grow. And uh, generally speaking, unless you get floods and stuff like that, uh, water and earth are very compatible in all situations. So it's very, astrology is very simple once you get your head around it. And as I say, uh-huh. you know, there's lots of people I, I've met who, who think they're Gemini and they're not. I say, no, you were born a week early. You were never in a month of Sundays of Gemini. You know, you're actually a Cancerian and you don't know it. And they'll say, well, you know, what, what year am I? And I'll say, you know, I think you're the year of the snake or whatever, or the year of the dragon. And that's what makes you appear to be a different star sign when you're not. And once you get uh-huh. to know the 12 types of sun sign personalities, that's uh, starting with Aries at the uh, spring equinox. That's when Aries begins. The first sign of the zodiac is Aries, the ram. And they're babies because it's like the lamb in the fields in springtime. Uh-huh. You know, when you, when you get all of these uh, associations in your mind, you don't have to think about the science. It, comes, it becomes second nature. And when we look at the distribution of signs, and this is how I proved how astrology works, if you look at the distribution of signs, it begins at the equinox when the daylight equals the darkness on April, so on March the 25th in the spring. And uh, we get Aries, which is a fire sign. A month later, we get Taurus, which is an earth sign. A month later, we get Gemini, which is an air sign. A month later, we get Cancer, which is a water sign. Now, you could say, hang on a minute. Why don't we get three earth signs in spring, three water signs in summer, three uh, uh, fire signs in autumn, and three air signs in winter? Why are they distributed like that? Uh, fire, 
earth, air, water. Then it follows again, fire, uh-huh. earth, air, water, with Leo, Virgo, uh, Libra, and Scorpio. Then it's another four months. We get fire, earth, air, water. We get Sagittarius, Capricorn, Aquarius, Pisces. Now, the only way that can happen is if you've got two variables scientifically that are playing around together. And those two variables are the magnetic fields of the sun. And they are the ones that are responsible for uh, the dispersion of the 12 star signs, where they come earth, air, fire, water, and not three at a time. And this explains why star signs in Australia are the same as star signs in the Northern Hemisphere, where winter and summer are the opposite. Because uh, when the sun's radiation strikes the earth, every second of every hour of every day, the electrons and protons that come off the sun go up and down the Van Allen belts. Now, the Van Allen belts were named after the engineer uh, Van Allen, who worked at NASA in 1958, and he discovered these belts of radiation that uh, encircle the Earth from about uh, 600 miles to 6,000 miles, and there's another band around 15,000 miles above the Earth. And what happens is they protect us from the sun's radiation. So when the sun showers off electrons and protons, which are products of the byproducts of the solar fusion process, those particles collide with the Van Allen belts. They go up and down every one second from North Pole to South Pole. The magnetic field of the Earth varies. As the magnetic field varies, it creates a varying magnetic field on the surface of the Earth that shuffles up genes in early impregnated ova, that is, babies that have just been impregnated. The genes are shuffled up, and you get a different personality every month depending on the, the stream of particles coming off the sun. And there's four streams, earth, air, fire, water. Then you get them again, earth, air, fire, water. Then you get them again, earth, air, fire, water. So it's the dispersion which proves beyond doubt that the sun's radiation is, is causing personality differentiation. It's fascinating. And, and fascinating. you know, once you, once you get your mind around that, and, and it may, it, 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 it Certainly, it made me. I, I sat here, you know, checking out everybody that was in my life, <laughs> whose birthday I knew, and and it was it was really quite profound. Those people that, you know, I I had a um, a, a good merge with, um, you know, were have been friends for twenty, thirty, forty years, and people that have come and gone in my life were were signs that. Um, that that definitely um, conflicted with my belief system or my philosophy, and so you know I I was able to validate so much of this by checking out the people that have you know either done well with my life or not well with my life. So it's I think that that if if anyone has a doubt in the world as to what you're talking about, all they need to do is read your book, and then sit down and 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 check out the people that, that have hurt them or been difficult with them and their own. And, and you know, it, life would, would be so much easier if people paid greater attention to, to this aspect of life as opposed to, well, I feel so, so woozy when I'm near them, you know. It's just so, I mean, you're talking physical here. And, and <clears throat> physicality fades and... You know, if if you don't have a deeper 
connection or a deeper um, integration between your your spiritual energies and your and your intellect and your philosophies, then sooner or later the physical is gonna is gonna pass and you're gonna be left with somebody and you're gonna look at them and say, and why was I with you? And you know, pay attention to this kind of material. The the, the handbook is right here. All you have to do is pay attention to it and not be led around by by your emotions and 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 your physicality because um there's so much more at play here there there is the body mind um emotions and and the spirit and and to 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 choose a partner with all of those things in sync gives you a greater potential for a longer relationship and you know if if you know it depends on what you're out for i guess but but the physicality um is the least important because that is that is fleeting that is totally fleeting and like you said before it life is an illusion anyhow so it isn't really real to begin with it's if you're looking for something deeper then you have to go deeper into yourself and um you give them the the handbook for it. I can understand why it's been banned. <laughs> it makes a great deal of sense, but uh, that that should that should, you know I sh- I should think you're pleased that they it, that they banned it because it means you really put something out there worthwhile. Well, yes. I mean, it doesn't concern me. Most of my books will be and always have been sold off my own website www.morriscottle.com. So. Uh, but it was a useful shop window. One can never argue that. But uh, uh-huh. it's, uh, I think, you know, there are strange things happening in our lives, vibrations, voltages. Uh, you know, my birthday is the 22nd of the 2nd, 1952. So clearly I'm a Pisces dragon. The dragon gives me the, the extrovert side. of. Usually Pisces are very quiet and shy. But because I've got the dragon pushing me along at 100 miles an hour, we've got a fish going 100 miles an hour. And George Washington was born on the 22nd of the 2nd, 1832, which is 220 years to the day before me. And my birthday is uh-huh. 22,252. Now, that, that's weird. It's strange, isn't it? And Very. I remember I went to uh, my wife also is born on the 11th of the 1st. So hers is his, her birthday is 111, and my birthday is 222. And I went to a clairvoyant many years ago, uh, and she, this was before I wrote the Mayan Prophecies in 1985. And she said, there's a man standing behind you who's very ancient. He's got long hands, and he's got dark skin, and he's, he's, he's something to do with a tent. He lives in a tent. And in fact, the tomb door is tent shaped it's like a triangle and he said she said he wants you to go to, to go away and he wants you to count i don't know why he wants you to write down these numbers one 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 two 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 three 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 four 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 and i thought well okay i get what you're saying but i don't i can't see the relevance of it anyway my wife and i went home and i sat down and i thought about this and I've been trying to f- figure out the Maya cycles of time. They used cycles to measure time. They didn't use uh-huh. seven days for a week and 30 days for a month and, and so on, or 100 years for a century. What they used was 20 days uh, 
260 days for the astrological calendar, uh, 3,600 days, 7,200 days, and 144,000 days. So what I did was, I wrote those cycles down from left to right, starting with the highest and the left. Then I wrote one, 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 one underneath them. Then I wrote two, 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 two underneath those. And I went all the way down the line to nine, 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 nine. Now that's the number revered by Freemasons because it's, it's the highest mm-hmm. number you can reach before becoming one with God, before becoming 10, if you like, or one zero. Mm-hmm. So then I multiplied the first cycle, 144,000 by nine, and added it to the next cycle, which was 7,200 multiplied by nine. Then I added that to 3,000, uh, 360 times nine. Then I multiplied that by 260 times nine, 20 times nine, and I came out with 1,366,560, one 1,366,560 years, which is the rebirth of Venus revered by the Maya, which is the sunspot cycle again. Wow. Now, you have, you have to question, okay, those, the actual sunspot number on the, uh, on the uh, sunshield of Monte Olban, 1,366,040, is 520 days different to 1366560. And that's because the Maya used Venus to calculate the number. 2,340 revolutions of Venus every 584 days comes to 1366560. So they they didn't have a calculator or a computer, but they could count the revolutions of Venus. That way they'd know when the next magnetic reversal is going to come. Fascinating. But by the way, I'm a Pisces monkey. So um Oh, that's very I, good. My, that's very happy. I'm I'm three three four four. So um right. Yeah, no, it's it's um like I said, it's, well, that's, it's a, that's an interesting That's an interesting number, isn't it? It it really is. I should play it on the lottery sometime, but I have found that the only way I ever get money is by earning it so I don't gamble. So, <laughs> yeah, me too. But, now, but, that, that, that's um, a very good combination. That's a good combination. Yeah. The monkey's very happy, happy oh, go very. lucky, and it, it lifts it lifts lifts the Pisces, which can get a bit down now and again. <laughs> yeah, no, I I have um, I consider myself very fortunate in that though life has had its ups and downs and its hurdles for sure. Um, I wouldn't have changed a moment of it because it got me to where I am, and I like where I am. So uh, it's it's all been worth it. Um, I noticed that our time is running short, and and I do I want to thank you so very 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 much for spending time with us, and um, and also for the gift of the book because this is this is a book I will always treasure. Um, it's it's an amazing handbook, and I've recommended it to as many people as I can, you know, get to sit still long enough to tell them about it. Um, you, you've you've, you've um, given a, a great gift to humanity, and I would imagine you're, you're still on your way to doing more. So I look forward to whatever comes next from you because I, I'm sure it will be magical. Thank you, Barbara. It's been a pleasure. Uh, it, 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 it has been a pleasure on my part as well. And I'm probably going to dive into your other books, so I hope I can talk you into doing this again someday soon. 
Sure, just let me know. I will certainly do that. And thank you again for being here. Thank you, everybody, for sharing your time, your energy, and um, your insight with us. And I really hope that you pay attention to what he has said because it it, it has a very um, mystical, magical, spiritual energy connected to it. And this is a handbook. And for those of you who want to take more control of your life, I suggest you find this handbook and take a look at it. It, uh, it is a worthwhile purchase for sure, and the information is timeless. So good night, everybody. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Mark, for bringing Maurice in. And uh, we will be back Tuesday with Mark's show. So check us out there. And also check out um, the uh, YouTube channel. And if you haven't subscribed already, please do so. We have wonderful stuff here. I would love to share it with you. Bye now.